Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. What is your view of the Bible? I want to take a, just a kind of a step back here and kind of look. We've had the past two Sundays to kind of talk about what our view of the Bible is. And hopefully, as you have come the past two weeks, you've kind of dived deeper into what you understand about God's Word. Now, each of us have a pre-understanding. Like, if I think back way, I want you guys to think like way back when you were first introduced to the Bible and what that looked like. Like your pre-understanding, I like to say, of what the Bible was. There's lots of things that come into my mind when I think about it. Some of the things are, it is intimidating, right? It is hard to understand. Like, I don't think I can read the Bible and, like, understand what is going on in there. Um, It's out of date. Like, it's such an old book. Like, why does it even matter if we read it and study it? And probably one of the biggest ones of pre-understanding and excuse that uh, that people come up with is it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to our time. Like, why is it relevant to us today when we read God's Word? You know, as you think through your view of God's Word directly affects your faith. What you think about God's Word directly affects your faith and how you are growing in your faith. So I really want to push you guys today to really think about, okay, where have I come from? What did I used to think about the Bible and, and as I've grown, now what do I look at God's word as, as I am studying it? Now, when I was younger, I was very misguided. I was misguided in the way I thought about the Bible. I didn't understand it at all. Um, and one of the things was I thought I just didn't, I couldn't understand it. I thought somebody else has to be able to interpret it, right, because I can't understand it. And I would think, Well, like a priest, like a priest would be the one to look at it and translate it so that I can understand. And that was kind of my thought. I knew the Bible was like important, like, and maybe you grew up that way too. Like you knew there was something special. I knew it related to Jesus, right? But I I didn't really understand how I could grow from or or what that would look like. You know, I knew it was in hotel rooms. Like as a kid, you'd be like, why is it in every hotel room? That doesn't make sense to me. And I knew that like when the president or when people in court would put their hands on it to swear a testimony, I thought, okay, that is significant. There must be something about this book that, that I need to pay attention to or to look at. But as I think about uh, the way that I viewed the Bible as I was beginning to understand what it was, it, it kind of reminds me of this. When I was younger, I had one of these toys, and maybe you had one of these toys also, or you've seen this, a Magic 8-Ball. Now, if you've ever had a Magic 8-Ball, and I'm sure everybody's probably heard of one, but I'll explain it anyway. It is, an, it is a, like a pool ball. It looks like an 8-Ball, but it's bigger, right? And it's got some sort of weird blue goo in it. And inside it, like, you shake it, right? And you ask it a question, and then you look at it, and it answers your question, right? So you'd be like, am I going to get a girlfriend? And then you'd look at it and be like, never. And you'd be like, oh. And you'd look at it, and that was like what I, and so you would ask it questions, and you would hope that it would give you an answer that, that would be relevant to what you're asking. So I would say that my early interpretation of reading the Bible was like a magic eight-ball theology. I would go to the Bible, and I would just open it, and I would say, Okay, God, I just want you to show me today. I'll flip open the pages, and I'll put my finger here, 
And this is what makes sense to me. So I'm going to ask a question, am I going to get a girlfriend? And I'll look at it, and it's like Jesus wept. You know, and you're like, oh, no. So if he weeps, I weep, and then it's just not good. That is not how you read and study the Bible. That's called personification. That is reading ourselves into the Bible. That is not the way that we should study. If you think about somebody who is maybe a a young married couple, and they open the Bible, and they see Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah got pregnant. Oh, that must mean that God is telling me that we are going to have a baby soon. No, that is not what that is saying. But you can learn about God's character, and you can see how God was faithful and what he did and the miracle that he did and learn from that. But we don't want to read ourselves into the Bible. There's two different words that you come back to. It's eisegesis and exegesis. So these are your big words for the day. Eisegesis is reading yourself into the Scripture. Exegesis is the correct interpretation and how we're supposed to read Scripture. So if you are eisegesis, now that's E-I-S-E-G-I-S, eisegesis, um, the easy way to remember this is because it sounds like I, like me. It sounds selfish, doesn't it? I Jesus. Um, that means that you, are lead, you lead into is actually what that means. Uh, you inject your own ideas into the scripture, and that is not the way we're supposed to do it. Exegesis, E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S, it means lead out of. The text leads to conclusions like that, that you can take from it, but you need to read in context what God is saying when you read. There's an author. Why is that author reading? Where is he? Who's he writing to? All of this is in context to what we need to learn. This is exactly why we love to preach uh, expository preaching. Like We like to go verse by verse through the scripture. Um, When we do that, we keep everything in context and we learn as we go. It helps us to understand the scripture as we go through. So the Bible is God's story. So how can I gain an in-depth knowledge of who God is? And then, well, how do I fit into that story? What does it look like? What is the application? That's exegesis, exegesis. Um, So we have, over the past two weeks, we have looked at the importance of God's word and First was the inerrancy of Scripture, right? That it is without error. And then it was the authority of Scripture, which means if it is inerrant, right? It's with, without error. And then God has given it authority, so we know it has authority. And then today we are going to look at the sufficiency of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture. If it is inherent and it has authority, then it is sufficient for us as believers, so does sufficient mean, when you think about sufficient in God's word, what, is, what does that mean? Does it mean it can answer any question? Well, no. Can it tell me how to change a flat tire? Like if I'm stuck on the side of the road and I have my Bible, I'm going to flip in here all day and I'm not going to see how to change a flat tire, right? If I want to learn how to solve a Rubik's Cube, it's not going to be in the Bible. Like practically, that's not in there when we look at it. But sufficient, when you say that God's word is sufficient, it means that the Bible is all we need to equip us with a life of faith and service to glorify God, right? That is what it means to be sufficient. Now, if I talk about the five solas, the five solas, uh, sola means alone, okay? So just to give you a little back backstory here, there's scripture alone, there's faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. This is back from the Reformation when you look at the Catholic Church and how that they were adding all this tradition, all this stuff in there. Luther came and said, no, it is all of these things alone 
when it comes to studying scripture. So sola scriptura is actually uh, means um, alone, sola alone. Scripture is the writing. So sola scriptura means that scripture alone is authoritative for the faith and practice of the Christian. So the Bible is complete, it's authoritative, and true. Now, this was the rallying cry of the Protestant Reformation, if you have studied that or you look into that at all. Martin Luther stood against these traditions. The traditions started to be more important than the Scripture. And a lot of these traditions uh, were against Scripture, so this was his way of standing up saying, no, this is not right. So we look back at this. But the one that's uh, scripture alone is really what we're talking about today. Um, so the Bible should be essential to your life. Raleigh talked about that a little bit during the announcements. And as we push into that and we think about that, I want you to evaluate how important the Bible is in your life. I thought about this this week. So my wife gave me this wonderful present for Christmas. And um, I haven't done these very often, but it is, a, it is a 3D puzzle. It is a globe, and I've got a picture of it right here. This, this globe, it's about this high, and you open this thing up, and it has 143 pieces in it, and it is, like, complex. There are gears and everything. When you, when you do it, you turn the, the bottom, and it actually turns the globe, and it, it moves this way also. It is super complex in its construction. So I went through this. It took me over six hours. It was between six and I think almost probably 10 hours, if I think about it, how long it took me to build this thing. Because all of these little pieces were very specific to where it goes when I put it together. Now, if I had not had the directions, which was like page after page after page of directions, and you just threw all those pieces in front of me, and I looked at it, I could stare at it all day and be like, okay, well, maybe this piece, I have no idea what this does, but I'll take this piece and this piece and see if it works, you know? And then you build it from there, like, that would never work because it is so specific in the way it is created and the way it is put together that I could never have put it together without the instructions. Now, on that concept, if you think about it, I could ask you how to build the globe. I could bring you all the parts and say, hey, can you tell me, like, what do you think? And you could look at it and be like, well, I, that piece, I have no idea, right? Only the person that created it and knows the directions and the instructions knows how to put it together because that's the way it was made. Now, I want you to think about that for a second because in our lives and who we are, and if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, you have an instruction book, and it is God's word. And the problem is we think that we can try to figure out on our own, just like trying to pick up all those little pieces and be like, well, that's complex, and that's complex, but I guess this goes together. Like, does it go together? We don't really know. But if you are looking for instructions on how to live your life and what that looks like, you want to go to the creator who created your life to understand how to best live. That is where we go to God's word. That is why it is sufficient when we go to it. So inerrancy to authority to the sufficiency. It is completely true. Therefore, it has authority given by God. Therefore, it is sufficient for Christian living. So this week, we look at Psalm 19. Now, Raleigh read a little bit of Psalm 119. Psalm 19 is like the condensed version of 119. And there is so much beautiful language in here that David writes about uh, creation and then specifically about God's word when we go through it and really talks about the sufficiency. So the first seven verses in the psalm 
in Psalm 19 are referring to the general revelation of God. Now, I, will, I don't want to skip past that. I do want to read through that with you so you can get an idea of what his, he's doing like a compare here. He's talking about general revelation, and then he's going to God's special revelation, his word, and what that looks like. So if you could turn to Psalm 19, and we'll start in the beginning of verse 1, and I want to read the first six verses together. So it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor, there, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit uh, to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, in, in this, I want you to kind of focus and kind of just let that kind of sink in just a little bit that he is really proclaiming God's creation there and what it is. And he even brings in the sun and what that looks like. It talks about a bridegroom. But if you look at the very first verse, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, right? It's that idea of God's general revelation. Like you cannot deny him by what we see in his creation. Romans 1, 18 and 19 is, uh, talks about God's general revelation. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. This idea that, this, that we are wired in a way that we know that we are here, that there is a creator, and we see this beautiful creation that we, we have to know. There is just proof to us that there is a God. That is a general revelation. So God reveals through the author David that his word then is sufficient also. So he talks about general revelation, the world, and then he moves to the word, right? General revelation about God's glorious creation to special revelation, his word. Uh, now, we will see specific areas that reveal its sufficiency. Verses 7 through 9, we'll break those down. Each one has uh, a description of God's word and, then, uh, and what that means. And we'll go through that, each one, and discuss it. And then when we get to verses 10 through 14, we'll discuss application, what that looks like in our lives. Um, so what is our big idea today? Our big idea is this. God's word contains everything we need for knowledge of salvation and godly living. God's word contains everything we need for knowledge of salvation and godly living. Two very important and essential things we will discuss today as we break down the text. Uh, now, now, as we go through the text, there are six um, glorious statements that we will go through and, and discuss with different expressions of God's word. And just to name them off, he says law, testimony, statutes, commandment, fear, rules. Each one of those is referring to God's, written, God's word. All right. So as we go through them, we will discuss what that means and what he is saying. But I want you to know generally that is what we are talking about when we go through this text. It's, it's God's word, God's word. All right, so let's start in the first verse, seven. We'll just do the first half. So verse seven, first part A. So the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So 
As I said before, the law, so what is that? That is, that is translated Torah, so that is the written word of who? It says uh, the Lord, that is translated Yahweh, all right? So the God of, of the covenant, love, and faithfulness, and who he is. This is a strong, like the word, if you're talking about God, it is Yahweh. So the law is what? It is perfect. So that means complete, having integrity. And what does it do? It revives the soul. So what do we see here about God's sufficient word? So the first thing that we'll look at today is God's sufficient word is complete. God's sufficient word is complete. It is, he says, perfect. But what I want you to think of, don't think about the opposite of perfect as imperfect. I want you to think about it as incomplete. The opposite would be incomplete. It is complete. God's word is complete. And it's complete for us to what? To understand salvation. To understand salvation. So James 1.21 says this. Therefore, put away on all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to, what, save your souls. Talking about this is sufficient. God's word is, is able to what? Which is able to save your soul. Why? Because the word gives us the gospel. It is the good news. When we talk about general revelation, right, we see proof that God exists and how amazing he is, but it is the special revelation that he gives through his word that we can understand the gospel, and that is how we come to salvation, and that is only through God's written word. So it is perfect for salvation. We must hear and understand God's plan of salvation through Jesus, the gospel. Every single week, we always want to be clear about the gospel, right? That is why we're here. That is why we're teaching through the Bible. That is why we gather together to talk about the gospel and how we can share it. So if we talk about the gospel, and if you're here and you're like, well, okay, what does that exactly mean? We talk about our fallen nature, right? Adam and Eve, they disobeyed. Sin came into the world. We were separated from God. Each and every one of us is born into sin, right? The Bible says we are actually enemies of God. Well, the only way we can have that relationship restored is through what? The perfect sacrifice of his son that he sent. That is his plan. He takes on the wrath of God as a substitute for us. And that is amazing when we when we look at it and we study and we understand and we see that God laid that out in his scripture so we could understand it. He went to the cross, he died, and he resurrected. He defeated death. He took on the punishment that you and I deserve. Now, if we believe in him, right, we come to him, we surrender, and he is our Lord. And that is salvation. That is what we talk about. That is the gospel. And then we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. It is a miracle. None of us deserve it. Not one of us deserve it. It's only through God's grace that we can receive it. So God's sufficient word is complete. And why? Because it is uh, perfect for salvation. It is perfect for salvation. I want to read Revelation 22, 18 through 19. Now, if you go to the very end of your Bible, right, See, what John wrote here, now Revelation, we talk about uh, eschatology in the end times. It says, I warn everyone who hears the words of prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. This is a warning, right? If God's uh, revelation here that he is getting, special revelation, is complete, we do not add, we do not take away from it. That is what John is saying here. The gospel is complete and perfect. It is complete and perfect. Charles Spurgeon says this, The gospel is perfect in all its parts, and perfect as a whole. It is a crime to add to it, treason to alter it, and a felony to take from it. Well said. Now, the problem we run into is we, there are false prophets and people that kind of muddy these waters that we see either on television or we see false prophets preaching different things. And what do they do? They claim new revelation from God. They add to it, right? So if you see, if, there's a, if there is a pastor or a preacher or someone you see that said, God gave me a special revelation and told me this, whatever it is, the end of the world is this date, right? Or anything that they say in that regards. God gave me a special revelation that I have because I'm special, but none of you know. That is a false prophet. You do not listen to that. You run from that because God's word is complete. This is where we go to learn. This is where we go to find out information. This is where we go to hear what God has to say to us. So if anybody claims a special revelation from God, run from them. Run from them. His special revelation is complete with the knowledge of salvation in his word. All right, let's go to the second part of verse uh, 7. So the first part was the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And it says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the second description of God's word is the testimony, the testimony. So when we think about a testimony, what is it? A witness or evidence. And if you think about it specifically, it is a a revelation of God's will in his writing, in his word. Uh, It is sure. What does sure mean? Sure means that it is firm. It is secure. What is dependable. So what do we see here about God's word? God's sufficient word is trustworthy. It is trustworthy. We are can trust it. If we can trust it, then we need to depend on it. It is sure, and what does it do here? It makes, makes wise the simple. Makes wise the simple. Seems pretty, pretty easy to understand there. So it gives wisdom to people. Um, if you think about simple, what is simple? Actually, the translation of simple means open-minded if you're looking at Scripture. And what does open-minded mean? It's it's like having this, like, you'll believe anything. That is what it is. So being open-minded. We think of open-minded like, well, it's a good thing. Like, well, I'm open-minded. I'll listen to that. But you've got to be careful what you're taking in and what you're believing. So he makes wise as a simple. Word of God is trustworthy. Why? Because he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. Deuteronomy 7.9. Know, ver- know, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. There, once again, going back in the Old Testament, showing how God is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is who he says he is. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He will never forsake us 
and he will never leave us. Those are the promises that we can stand on. Why? Because God's sufficient word is trustworthy. It is trustworthy. Psalm 111, 7 says, The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. All his precepts are trustworthy. The word precepts, if you look at that word, the translation, it is like, um, it is like rules, his general rules. And we'll get into that because we come to that here in the next verse. So we trust in him to grow what in knowledge, simple to wise. And that should be our goal. That is where we should be heading to every single day when we uh, approach the text and approach the scripture. So I would ask, are you growing in knowledge? Are you going from simple to wise or are you staying simple? I would encourage all of us to be striving to become wise in what we and how we learn. And that's why we meet here together. That's why we go through the text together. Why? It's because we're going from simple to wise. Simple to wise. So I would ask, where are you? Rate yourself on a scale. Like zero, simple, 10, super wise. Where are you on that? And where do you, are you striving to be? Now, none of us are perfect. None of us know everything. You know, none of us will be that 10. But we should be striving to get that way. All right, let's go on to the next verse, verse 8. It says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So we come to the word precepts, and that is, like I said before, general rules to follow. Another translation says statutes, statutes. If you think what a statute is, it is a law put in place. Uh, That makes it more serious. It's not like, well, I could follow this rule or I could. No, this is a statute, a law put in place. And what? It says they are right. They are right, morally right, practically right, universally right. God is holy, true, and always right. So what do we see here about God's sufficient word? God's sufficient word is righteous. God's sufficient word is righteous. Now think about a path is what I want you, because that's where kind of the text is leaning towards. It is a, if you think about a path, it is a straight path. It's to make straight or upright. It's not to be, uh, the opposite would be what? Opposed to crooked, being on a crooked path. Um, Now, the same thought is expressed in Psalm 119. Um, Psalm 119, uh, 105 and 106 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. Now, I love that text. And it's probably one that we've taught to youth, we've taught to, taught to uh, children. Why? Because it gives such a clear picture on, the, on God's word and what it does. It lights our path, right? So if we're walking in a way in our life, right, if it is lit up, we know where we're going. If it's walking in darkness, what? We're like lost. We don't know where we're going. It lights our path. God's word does to keep us on a straight path. So it is a beautiful promise here. But then it says what? Rejoicing the hearts. So God's word brings what? Joy. It brings joy to our hearts. That is one thing all of us are seeking. Now, we've talked about joy. We had a student weekend talking about joy. And then even during Advent, one of our weeks was talking about joy. So we've talked a lot about joy. So are you looking for joy and contentment? 
That can only be from God. Everything else gives temporary joy. So his word is righteous to follow that path. And where does that path go? Leads to joy. Leads to joy. So are you following that path? Or are you following different paths? Are you following your own path? Well, God's word is righteous. This is the path that we need to follow. It is our guidance. It is our direction and where we need to go. All right, let's go on. Uh, second part of verse 8 says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, okay, enlightening the eyes. So now the word for God's word is the commandment of the Lord and saying it is pure. So because God is pure and holy, what? His word is pure. Does not lead to what? Doesn't lead us into sin. It doesn't lead us into impurity. So what do we see here about God's sufficient word? God's sufficient word is undefiled. God's sufficient word is undefiled. It is pure. It is unstained when we look at it. Psalm 12, 6 puts it an excellent way. It says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. So what is the psalmist here talking about? He's talking about this idea of heating metal, right? And what? All the impurities come to the top. You scrape them off. It's saying it is so pure, it's heated seven times to get it as pure as it can possibly be. So we see here, what will it do? It will enlighten the eyes. So bring light into darkness. Now, when we think about enlightening our eyes, we have... If you are here and you are surrendered and you are a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. And that is a miracle in itself. So we have the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of the Scripture. He enlightens our eyes. He enlightens our eyes. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So talking about the spirit, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand things freely given to us by God. He is the one who gives us guidance and direction. Helps us, what, in application of God's word. So when you're thinking about God's word, does sufficient mean... Does sufficient mean we will understand everything? Now, when I was, I was taking a class and we were talking about the Holy Spirit, and one of the questions that was posed was, if you're reading God's word, do you only need the Holy Spirit to understand it? And I would have said, well, yes, absolutely. I only need the Holy Spirit to understand God's word. Absolutely, because the, the Holy Spirit, what, enlightens us, helps us to understand. So then my professor sent us a question and said, okay, and I'll do the same to you. Let's read the scripture together. Matthew 23, 5 says this. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Now, this is Jesus talking about the Pharisees. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Okay, so if you go to that scripture and you read that and you're like, okay, so a phylactery, what is a phylactery? Like, and if you said, okay, well, I'm going to spend two hours in prayer and I want the Holy Spirit to reveal to me what a phylactery is, it's not going to happen. Why? Because we need 
to understand history and we need to understand what Scripture teaches. That's why we have commentaries. That's why we have studies. The Holy Spirit enlightens us to understand behind what is going on. And the idea behind that is a phylactery. In the Old Testament, God said to bind the word to the arms and the head, meaning in what you do and what you think. Well, they took that too far and made it literal. So what did they do? They made boxes leather boxes to put on their wrists and to put on their head. And what he is saying is that they make them so big. So what they were doing is they were showing off. They were saying, oh, look at my, my phylactery is huge because I carry around all this scripture and what I'm doing. But that's not what the scripture was saying, and that was not the intention of it. But my point is, reading that, you'll be like a phylactery. I don't know what a phylactery is until you study and you learn it. And then the Holy Spirit helps to reveal to you, when you understand what it is, what that scripture means and and how it is applied. God is holy and his word is pure. It is undefiled. So we need to seek the Holy Spirit and guidance in what? An application, an application in what we do. All right, let's go on to the next verse, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So the next word that we got here for God's word is what? The fear of the Lord. So God's word is referred to as fear. Now this fear shows what? An attitude of reverence and worship. If you read and study God's word, what will happen? You will develop an awe and reverence to who he is. Um, you will, this, this is this fear that is talked about here. Um, talks about the fear of the Lord is what? It is clean. So once again, clean is the same as what? It's purity. Same as pure. He's carrying the same thought through. And the author here, David, links this to what? To being eternal. That this is something that is eternal. So what do we see here about God's sufficient word? God's sufficient word is everlasting. It is everlasting. It will not fade. It endures. This is beautiful, wonderful news that we can look at. God's word will, is everlasting. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25 says this, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. All the grass withers, and the flower fa- falls. But the word of the Lord, what? Remains forever. And this word is the good news that was, what? Preached to you. It's preached to you. This is actually Peter referring back to Isaiah, Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 6, when he is referring to this. What, what is he saying? It's that, but the word of the Lord, what, remains forever. It is everlasting. Not only is it everlasting, but it does not fade and it does not change. And this is an important concept that we look at, and this should give us comfort how often do people want to change the word of God and say, well, you know, I, it, they used to say it meant this, but really does it mean this, you know, and try to like kind of go around certain things of God's word. That is not what we should do. God's word does not change, and we need to stand on that truth. So God's word is clean and unchanging. God's sufficient word is everlasting. Think about that for a second. It will always be. It will always be. Remains forever. All right, let's go on. 
Now, this right here in verse 9, the second part, is the last of David's description of God's word. It says, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. There's nothing, what? There's nothing false or unrighteous in God's word. It is true. It is absolutely, perfectly true. So what do we see here about God's sufficient word? God's sufficient word is truth. It is truth. Today... What? Truth is relative, right? So your truth and my truth may not be the same thing because I believe this and it is true, but you can believe this and that is true, and we'll all live happily together because all the truth and nobody really has. Like, no, that's not. Truth is not relative. God's sufficient word is truth. We can stand on it. God cannot lie in his word. He is holy and there is no sin. Proverbs 32, 5 and 6. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. What a beautiful picture there. This idea of he is a shield if you take refuge in him, right? Because his word is true. It is a protection. And then it goes on to say, do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Once again, another warning saying, do not add to this. Do not add to this. So think about this for a second. David only had the first five books, right, that we look at as our Bible, right? And he cherished it, and he, he spoke and wrote beautifully about God's word. His attitude and what he looks at, now I want you to think about what we have. We have an expanded, where we have the New Testament all the way up. We know God's uh, ministry, we know Jesus, what the miracles he did, how he came to the cross, and all the way through Revelation. If David looks at this and says, how beautiful this is, how much more should we be looking at this and say, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. If you look at the Bible, even, um, even from a secular view, the Bible is a, an incredible work of art. Um, this masterful work of literature, um, given, and it's given to us by God. There's so much beauty in it, and there's so much truth in it. It is truth. All right, let's go on to verses 10 and 11. This, this, now we're going to dive into kind of the practical application. I kind of want to talk about what this means that, uh, that God's word is sufficient. So let's read verses 10 and 11. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them, there is great reward. Now, looking at here, so you see right away, he's putting a value on God's word and what he is saying. Now, what is he saying, the value? It's more valuable than what? Than gold. So I would ask, if sitting in front of you, God's word and gold... What would you choose? Do you understand the value of God's word, or do you take it for granted? David here, a wealthy man, understood the importance of God's word and the value of it, that it's more important than gold. It's, he's, he even makes the statement, uh, even much fine gold. Like, he took it up a notch. He's like, it's better than gold, well, even much fine gold. Like, that's how valuable God's word is. And then he goes on to say, plus sweeter than what? Than honey. He adds this uh, the sense of taste to it, what even makes it more beautiful. 
So what do we see here about God's sufficient word? God's sufficient word is invaluable. It is invaluable. No price can match the value of God's word. And do you understand that? Do you meditate on that? Do you think about that? He goes on there, and so what does it kind of reveal that as David talks through it? It's instruction for what? Warning and instruction and a reward. He says, moreover, by them is your servant warned. So it gives warning. In keeping them, there is great reward. So talking about this idea of warning and reward. So I want to read to you 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. If you're talking about Scripture, talking about the sufficiency of Scripture, if you look anything up about the sufficiency of Scripture, this is the verse that it comes to and points to. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be, what, complete, equipped for every good work. So why is this verse right here for the sufficiency of Scripture? Why do we see that this is where we go to find out about the sufficiency of Scripture? Why? First of all, it's breathed out by God. It's not by man. It's by God. And we've talked about that. It's inerrant. We know it's given to us by God and it has authority. So it's profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, and correction. All of these things are make uh, God's word useful to us in, uh, in our life. So that he may be what? Complete. Right there. That he may be complete. And he is equipped for what? For every good work. If he can be equipped for every good work, and what he's talking about, we can be equipped for every good work. Do you see that? He is equipped, we can be equipped for teaching, reproof, and, con- and correction. Now, one of the things that we are huge proponents of is biblical counseling. And if you're not familiar with biblical counseling, we do biblical counseling here, and we send people to be trained um, uh, in Lafayette, and it's the ACBC, I believe. ACBC, yes, is, the, um, is what we study and we go through. And we think biblical counseling is so important. Now, there's a difference between biblical counseling and Christian counseling. Why is there a difference? Because biblical counseling, guess what? Talks about the sufficiency of God's word. We believe that going through counseling, you need to go back to God's word and see what it says uh, in relating to counseling. There's so much that you can learn. Uh, through biblical counseling. The Bible is sufficient. How to love your wife to make your marriage better. Guess what? It's in here. How to raise your kids. It's in there. How to battle anxiety. It's in there. How to restore relationships. It's in there. How to surrender your life to Jesus. It's in there. And how to grow in your walk and in your faith. It is in here. This book, God's Word, will radically change your life through what? Sanctification. It's invaluable. Like, do you understand the value that we have in it? That's an understatement. It's an understatement of the value that's in there. All right, let's go on to verses 12 and 13. 
says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have a dominion over me. Then I, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So we see here, what is David talking about? David seeks protection, what, from sin. He is seeking protection from sin. And he's asking that from God after talking about his word. So what do we see here about God's sufficient word? God's sufficient word is our defense. It is our defense. We come to Ephesians We've studied this before, the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The word of God. The sword is what? It's the only weapon, it's the only weapon in the armor of God. Everything else for protection. Shield, helmet, shoes, everything else. The sword is what is used to what? It is your defense. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Once again, this image of God's word being a sword, a double-edged sword that is so sharp, right? What a beautiful picture and the power that we can see that God's word is. God has given us the weapon, and we don't use it like we should. We take it for granted. We have God's holy word, and what do we do? We ignore it. We try to figure it out on our own. Then I have to think. I was thinking through that. I'm like, what is wrong with us? Like, what is wrong with us? Why? So many of our struggles, and we have the tools that God has given us right here. But what are we? Too lazy. And I was thinking, shame on us. Like, shame on us. And I'm there too. I'm right there. Like, I do not use God's word like I should on a daily basis on how I'm living. God's sufficient word is our defense. But we must use it. We have to use it. It is no use to us if you go out in battle and you leave your sword behind It doesn't help you if you leave it behind. You need to take it with you. You need to be in it. You need to be studying it. You need to be memorizing it. All right, let's move on to verse 14. Now, this verse 14 shows David's heart and his commitment here. So verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Is this your heart today? The way that David expresses here, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord. That's the way we need to approach God in everything that we do. Then he says, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Is this your heart today? So we have seen through this beautiful psalm from David the, the adoring of God's word, like You just see through his words, and that's one of the greatest things about studying Psalms is you see the poetry that that David gives here and how he describes things in so many beautiful words. So as we look at the sufficiency, we have seen what? God's word is complete, right? It is perfect. It is trustworthy. It is sure. 
It is righteous. It is right. It is undefiled. What does that mean? It is pure and it's clean. It's everlasting and it's true. And it's invaluable for our salvation and living. And it is our defense in spiritual battles. So what is our next step? Our next step is this. It seems so simple, so simple, but so we just don't do it. Trust in God's sufficient word. Trust in God's sufficient word. Trust in God's sufficient word for what? For salvation and for what? For godly living. Those are the two things. We know God's sufficient word, but now we got to trust in it and how we live and how we study and how we grow in it. Trust in his plan and surrender to him. So if he is drawing you here today, if he is, if, if he is drawing you closer to him, understand that you cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. Only he can do that. Each of us are born into sin and it's only through the sacrifice of his son. He gives us that opportunity that beautiful gift, the perfect sacrifice that you could be saved. So believe and surrender to him. Then seek God's word daily. Meet him daily. If this is your instructions and this is his letter to you, meet him daily and talk to him, learn from him, and spend time with him. And ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the truths of the scripture as you continue to grow in that. So trust in God's sufficient word. And I pray that all of us will trust in God's sufficient word in every area of our life, not just here on Sunday, every single day. And the decisions that we make, how we live our lives, in our relationships, how we treat our spouse, how we treat our children, how we love others well, all of that is talked about in God's word. And it is sufficient. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today just thankful. We praise you for your word and for the opportunity just to kind of stand back today, Father, and see the beautiful poetry that David has written about um, your glorious word. And Father, we are so thankful for it. We're so thankful that we can come to it, that you have given it to us, that it's a special revelation, Father, that we don't deserve. You owe us no explanations of anything but you give us the opportunity to, to step to you. And we are so thankful for that. So Father, I pray for each and every person here today. If there's someone here that you are drawing close to you, I pray today that they surrender their lives to you, that they can understand that through your word that you give them the opportunity for salvation. So Father, we're so thankful for that. And I just pray that if, if everyone here, as they continue to walk closer in their faith to you, Father, that you will continue to reveal to them through the help of the Holy Spirit. Help open our eyes. Help, help us to see how we should be living each and every day and, and how we can do that better to glorify you. So, Father, we just are so thankful for this time together today. We love you. We want to give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.